I'd like to read to you a little note from an American lady uh, who had just retired and moved to a new house in a new location. She describes an unexpected experience that she had. This is what she writes. My name is Alice, and I was sitting in the waiting room for my first appointment with a new dentist. I noticed his dental diploma on the wall, which bore his full name. Suddenly, I remembered that a tall, handsome, dark-haired boy with that same name had been in my high school class over 30 years before. Could this be the same guy I had a secret crush on way back then? Upon seeing him, however, I quickly discarded any such thought. This balding, gray-haired man with a deeply lined face was far too old to be my classmate. However, after he'd examined my teeth, I asked him if he'd attended Morgan Park High School. Yes, yes, I did indeed, he said. When did you graduate, I asked. He answered, in 1975. Why do you ask? I was at Morgan Park High School. She said, I left in 1975. You were in my class. He looked at me closely, that ugly, old, bald, gray-haired, wrinkled-faced, decrepit creep, and asked me, what subject did you teach? (laughs) Sometimes how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive others is wide off the mark. We can have an idealized picture of ourselves or of someone else that's only partly true. And this is especially the case when we look at some of the great heroes of the Bible. During the summer here in Kirkpatrick, we've been thinking about David. And so often, we've a sort of perfectionist picture of him. The simple shepherd boy, the Uh, the faithful son, the fearless fighter, the accomplished musician, the respectful and merciful servant of Saul. That's where we left off the story last Sunday. Today we come to consider a story from what I call the Robin Hood phase of David's life. Maybe to be more current, I should call it a Stephen Gerrard phase. We find David and his followers, about 600 of them, moving through the semi-desert scrublands of the North Sinai Peninsula, the desert of Maon. Those of you who have older Bibles uh, may see it uh, called the desert of Paran, but modern translations uh, prefer and favor Moan. Anyway, the men moved about in this uh, area like, I suppose, modern-day Bedouin, moving from oasis to oasis. And from time to time, their path crossed that of some nomadic herdsmen who were caring for the sheep of a quite rich farmer in southern Judah by the name of Nabah. And from what we read, David and his men had acted quite honorably towards these shepherds, neither attacking them nor stealing from them. With the changing season 
Nabal's shepherds and indeed David and his men were forced to forsake the desert and move farther north to the southern fringes of Judah. It's the time for counting the flocks, for shearing the sheep, for sharing and celebration. David hears what's going on in Nabal's village and he sends some young men to ask for a share of Nabal's bounty. I suppose we could say that in a way David's asking for protection money. His request is like a red rag to a bull as far as Nabal is concerned. There's no politeness or subtlety in refusing David's request. Verse 10 there in the passage uh, catches the mood. He says, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Very untypical of Eastern attitudes to hospitality. And David's men leave with their tails behind their legs, hurrying back to report what has happened. And David's furious. Put on your swords, he orders. He leaves 200 men at camp and sets off with 400 men to deal with Nabal. Now fortunately, very fortunately, one of Nabal's servants was able to slip away from the feasting that had begun to where his wife Abigail was and report to her about Nabal's outburst. She immediately takes action. Verse 18 describes what she does. She she takes 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, 200 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs. She loads them on donkeys. She sends them off towards David, and then she sets off herself to meet him. Meanwhile, in the other direction, David, still smarting from the rebuff he's experienced from Nabal, is coming. He's set on vengeance. Verse 22, if you look at it in the passage, tells you his plans. He says, May God deal with David ever so severely if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to me. He's bent on vengeance. And then round a corner of a rocky path, they come and suddenly the two groups meet. Abigail jumps off her donkey. She throws herself at David's feet. She apologizes profusely. She pleads for mercy. She says, let me take the blame. She does a bit of flattering of David at the same time. And David, as we read, relents. Verse 34. He says, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive at daybreak. Abigail returns home relieved finds her husband drunk after the day's feasting. Next morning, she tells him of her encounter with David. Nabal either seems to have taken a heart attack or a stroke, whatever it was, we're told that in 10 days, he died. And then there's one final twist to the story. David hears that Nabal has died and he asks Abigail to become a wife. The chapter ends with her agreeing to marry him. Now, this isn't a story 
that we usually tell at Sunday school or talk too much about. But we've got to ask ourselves, if this is part of God's word, what is God saying to us through this story? When I ask myself that question, I look at each of the main characters in turn. I look at Nabal, rich but ungrateful, vicious, with a scathing, sarcastic, nasty tongue. I ask myself, do I, when I'm upset or irritated, let fly with my tongue? Is there a Nabal side to me? And there's more. Nabal may not have known David, although that's very doubtful, but he could have inquired. One of his servants told his wife Abigail, as we see in verse 15 there in the passage, these men were very good to us. They didn't ill-treat us. The whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Nabal could have asked his men about David. They could have told him, and he should have been calling David to thank him. He was blind to it all. We need to ask ourselves sometimes, who are the hidden people who help us? Who are the people who could make life difficult for us and don't? Who are the people who cross our path each day and help us and never get any acknowledgement and sometimes get abuse? Is there a Nabal side to me? I look at Abigail. I, I think of my own wife, Ruth. There's a lot of men I know, and if they hadn't married an Abigail, they would never be out of trouble. Abigail had the sensitivity to see the deep offense her husband's words had caused. She had the wit to take immediate action to try to rescue the situation. And she had a self-sacrificing nature that was even willing to lay down her own life to save her stupid husband and his household. The sensitivity to the feelings of others, the taking action to sort things out, to be a peacemaker, the willingness to sacrifice self. Is there anything of Abigail and me whether I'm male or female, is there an Abigail side to me? It's well and good, of course, to look at Nabal and Abigail, but we are studying the life of David during the summer months. And so it's on David that we must focus most today. What do we make of his behavior in this story? None of us like people who ask for protection money. I had a young man at my door last Tuesday asking for money to buy new band uniforms, and I regarded it really as a request for protection money. None of us like that. And I'm not going to say much about David's request, except to say that I think in this situation he had a right to ask for a share at harvest time. But what I want to focus on today is to focus on two things, actually two moments in our story when David encounters someone, to look at how he reacts. 
first moment when the young men return and tell him how Nabal has refused his request. I call this his Stephen Gerrard moment. Stephen Gerrard's maybe becoming old news, but you may remember that ten days ago he was acquitted having been charged with attacking Marcus McGee in a Southport bar. He'd asked McGee to give him the card that controlled the money that was the music that was being played in the in the place. And he was rebuffed. And Gerard wasn't used to being rebuffed. And a brawl broke out and McGee ended up with a, a nasty beating, a, a disproportionate end to an unfortunate incident. Well, David wasn't used to being rebuffed. And he's so angry that he immediately sets out to kill every male in Nabal's village. Every one of them is going to pay the price. What have we here? Quick temper? Extreme anger? Certainly a disproportionate response to an unfortunate incident. And I suppose as we're considering David's life and what it says to us, we've got to ask ourselves, is there anything in David's reaction or David's overreaction that can be found in my life? How do I react when I don't get my way? Physical violence? Verbal abuse? We may go in for psychological welfare Warfare, sulking and huffing and making life miserable for others? How do we react when we find our plans thwarted, whether it's at home or at work or in church? This is a place where many Christians fall into sin. And if this is you, you need perhaps to ask someone's forgiveness, you need to ask God's forgiveness, you need to ask him to change your heart. The second encounter we have in this story is that between David and Abigail. And its result is rather unexpected. Because if you look in your Bibles, you see in verse 22 that David is saying just before he meets Abigail, May God deal with me severely if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to Nabal. It's a sort of oath. And then the next minute he's confronted with Abigail. To break his word must have seemed impossible because he had invoked God. And then there must have been the problem of losing face with his men whom he'd hyped up for a fight. Yet in response to Abigail's pleading and persuasiveness, he changes his mind. And in verse 35, we read him saying, Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. This to me is one of the marks of David's greatness. He was man enough to change his mind. There wasn't a sullen stubbornness that said, I vowed to kill them, so I will, whether it's self-defeating or not. 
There's a lesson here, perhaps, for us and even for our society. The stubbornness that can't allow us to change course or alter our opinions at times or to see that there may be uh, another way. If we have that stubbornness, it's a sign of weakness, not strength. I don't know how you are in your home or place of work. Sometimes when we think we're being principled, uh, we're, we're really being pig-headed. And often this leads to relationships breaking down, people not speaking to one another. During last week, most of us saw on television the funeral of Henry Allingham, the world's oldest man. One of the mourners there was his 89-year-old daughter. They'd had a breakdown in relationships. They hadn't spoken to one another for 40 years. She came to the funeral, but it was too late then to repair anything. We don't know exactly the cause of their disagreement, but what a tragic situation. Principles, prickliness, pig-headedness, who knows what it was. David had the self-confidence and the strength to change his mind in time before he killed hundreds of men, perhaps, for the foolishness of Nabal. If we can have the wisdom that David uh, exhibited here, we too, at times, can save ourselves from sinning. To me, perhaps this is the greatest lesson of the chapter. We started today with Alice's story. How do we perceive ourselves? Our weaknesses may be glaringly obvious to others. They may be deeply offensive to God, but but we may be completely unaware of them. What we need to do in the light of God's word is to ask God by his Holy Spirit to help us to see ourselves as we really are. We need to ask him to work in our hearts, taking away wrong perceptions, self-delusions, those frailties and sins that, that we have. We need to ask him today to make us to be the men and women that he wants us to be. And so we pray to him. Let's pray. God our Father, help us to see ourselves as others see us, to see ourselves as you see us. Help us to be humble and not to be quick to take offense. Help us to be forgiving. Grant us that sensitivity of spirit that Abigail had that we may be peacemakers in a troubled world. And so, Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and guide our lives and use us this day and the days of this new week in your service and to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.